All right, what's up, y'all? Welcome to the Sports Medicine Broadcast. We are live again at the Sports, uh, the Memorial Hermann Sports Medicine Update 2019. We are joined by Dr. Lacey Harrison from the University of Houston. She'll be interviewing Dr. Joe Mandola. He is talking about the thrower's elbow. So this is sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash thrower's elbow 2019. Again, sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash throwers elbow 2019. It'll have ways to get a hold of Dr. Harrison, Dr. Mandola, uh, and then maybe if there's any links or any specific resources that we mentioned throughout the interview uh, while we're live here at the Memorial Harmon Sports Medicine Update, then we'll include those as well. So without much further ado, Dr. Harrison. Dr. Mandola, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. I actually grew up in Williamsport, well, near Williamsport, Pennsylvania, which is the home of the Little League World Series. So I had a lot of questions as you were doing your talk about uh, youth baseball because we're kind of getting towards that time of the year they're going to be in the Little League World Series most of them play multiple positions so they're getting a lot of overhead activity so can you talk a little bit about what you want coaches to know and what you want athletic trainers to know specific for our youth baseball players um, relative to the elbow and shoulder yeah I think uh, one of the most important uh, things to just be aware of is that the more we throw, the more we're putting ourselves at risk. Uh, in addition to that, the harder we try to throw, the more we're putting ourselves at risk. So um, just really monitoring that. Uh, I know we've come a long way, and most of the leagues have you know, pitch counts and, and uh, certain rules in place, and it's important to try and follow those. And it's important for the parents, in addition, to follow those and be aware because while the coaches can only control in that league and, and that setting, you know, some some athletes try to go play in multiple leagues at the same time, and then they're you know they're doubling up on that thing. So, um, so really, it's it's just the amount. You know, so uh, it might not be a good idea for a pitcher to throw and then go play third base, or especially go catch where they're still throwing again on every play. Um, if there is uh, any sign of elbow pain, decreased throwing performance, if if the the kid complains of of pain or discomfort in the elbow or shoulder at, at, in any way. Go ahead and take him out. Have him evaluated. It may be something that that you know doesn't have to be a big deal. That it, but if he pushes through and keeps going, you know then we really injure that growth plate or or those uh, those ligaments. Um, and then you know it's a it's a long term fix and he's missing a lot of time and and time with the sport and friends and and that sort of thing and that can be tough. So there's really a lot for us to wrap our heads around with all the rules, and that's parents, coaches, athletic trainers, and I actually teach our eval classes at the University of Houston, so I'm teaching our upper body eval for our athletic training students. So what do you want me to stress to them? What do they need to be looking for? Should they know all the rules out there? I know they're different at every level. I guess, like, what do you want their responsibility to be in this setting? I think one of the biggest responsibilities they have is kind of the, the gatekeeper to making sure that um, the, the, the rules, whatever are in place there are, are being followed um, and that they're appropriate. Uh, in, in my presentation, I, I laid out you know, a few that, that are there um, for review. But um, a, another thing that, that they can kind of look for to hopefully try and prevent injury is that the range of motion is staying intact. Um, that, you know, check players every now and then for, for uh, you know, internal rotation deficit, um, ask them, you know, frequently if they're having any discomfort, if they feel like, you know, their, their curveball is breaking the way that it used to, if they're having the same velocity um, on the fastball. And, and also try to encourage, you know, not using radar guns all the time, okay? Radar guns are most appropriately used whenever we're doing a return to throwing program to make sure they don't exceed a certain percentage of their velocity. Um, but whenever we have a gun on, on throwers all the time, Naturally, I would too. You want to throw harder to impress the gun, right? So, um, you know, just kind of, kind of making that the culture, uh, and, and discussing with the coaches and players um, around the, the facility or league or whatever team they're with. 
So you brought up the curveball. Can you talk about, like you did to our group out there, um, not necessarily the myth behind the curveball, but maybe how we should be changing our thought a little bit? The curveball is controversial. <laughs> um, so it, it looks like, so with the, what we know is whenever we throw a curveball, any off-speed pitch, uh, the, the actual forces exerted on the elbow um, and the shoulder are, are less than they are whenever we're trying to throw hard. So like I said, the more throwing and the harder throwing are the biggest risk factors. But the curveball likely does somewhat increase your risk for injury, but it's probably because young kids um, are trying, first of all, their mechanics aren't very sound uh, anyway. Okay, so one thing we want to do is try to get the mechanics sound as soon as possible. Um, but it likely is because throwing a different pitch like a curveball with a different motion, uh, they don't just they don't have the mechanics in place for that quite yet. So um, so we get you know forces on on um, joints and structures that we don't typically get because of the the mechanics. So it's not that a properly thrown curveball is more dangerous. It's that it's tougher to throw it with appropriate mechanics. If that makes sense. Yeah, that's interesting. That's very interesting and different than what a lot of people would think. Can you also talk about, and you brought up a little bit, but asymmetry, with our, especially with our pitchers, we're going to see a difference in range of motion, right? So I actually spoke yesterday about FMS, and a lot of things we look for is just the asymmetry in, in general. Um, so what are we, I guess, what are we trying to fix? If we see a difference bilaterally with range of motion, is that necessarily a bad thing? How do we know when to prevent injury and when it's normal for a baseball player? Well, first of all, with internal rotation in, in general, we uh, we tend to have a little bit less internal rotation with our dominant arm, so that's something to keep in mind. So yeah, you that, can, that's kind of what I was I was leaning forward, and I was going to say because I've heard so many times with baseball they're going to be different on their right versus their left because they one is a throwing, one is a non-throwing. So I'm sorry, go ahead, continue. Yeah. So so um, and th so generally because of those types of, of things that we do throughout our life, most people have a little bit less internal rotation, like I said, in their dominant arm than their non-dominant arm. But once this starts to reach some significant, you know, 15, 20 degrees, you know, starts to, to get pretty significant difference from right to left, um, then we know that, that that tends to increase the injury risk. And so what we want to do is we want to stretch that out. Now, if they're not having any issues, you don't necessarily have to shut them down just because they have this. But, um, but what we do want to do is make sure that they're stretching out and trying to get that range of motion back. Okay. And if they, certainly if they're having any issues at all, or, or it is a very significant, you know, amount of a deficit from one arm to the other, where you really think that they're putting themselves at risk, you know, we could shut them down for a while and let them stretch out. Whenever we're throwing, every time we decel that posterior, you know, delt is firing, um, and those rotator cuff muscles uh, to uh, to slow down the arm, and this is a huge force. And so th throwing really slows us down on the progress we can make on the on the motion gained whenever we're trying to stretch this out. And so on that same thing with the motion, is it you're trying to affect the non-throwing arm and increase the internal rotation? Because you know you also talk about the uh, the GER, the internal rotational deficit. Um, with it should be 180 degrees arc total arc of motion, and so. So if I'm right-handed and my internal rotation on my right hand isn't the same as my left hand, should I be doing something with my left hand instead of my right? Like, how do I know which one to match? So you're wanting to try and get close to where your left, to where your non-dominant arm is. Okay. So you want to, you want to, you know, usually be within about 10 degrees or so of, of the non-dominant arm. So that's, that's what you're doing. So you measure the non-dominant versus the dominant. And that's also how you assess the degree of difference there to, to comment on, you know, what the degree of internal rotation deficit is. So 
that's that's where we're going. So you don't have to stretch or, or do that stuff with a non-dominant arm or non-throwing arm, but that's your baseline basically for where you're where you're the general region where you're trying to get your throwing arm. So how do we proceed with that after baseball with activities of daily living? For example, my ba- my husband played college baseball and now we're playing slow pitch softball and he's having all kinds of issues, right? So how how does that transition happen to we're done with baseball, what's now important for a healthy shoulder and or elbow? Well, throwing puts forces on the shoulder and elbow that daily activities of daily living do not. Now, in your husband's case where he's still playing softball, um, you know, he's obviously throwing, so uh, he's going he's gonna to have that force. But I would make the same recommendations uh, that I would for my athletes, um, you know, that if it's, if it's really bothering him or, or anyone that's doing an activity, an overhead throwing activity, and they, they find that they have that deficit to just stop for a little while and, and try and resume, um, you know, it is a little bit different, though, because uh, professional college. This is their career where they're, you know, trying. So they're trying to throw at a very elite level. Um, so I wouldn't push them through pain, and we want to get that, you know, get get them pain free and get them feeling good and get their motion back before we progress to a return to throwing program and put them back out there. Um, you know, for first of all, with activities of daily living, you know, generally we're really not going to be affected. Even if we do have internal rotation deficit from previous things, it's generally not going to affect us if we're not trying to throw it at an elite level. So it's a little bit different. You talked about when to do non-surgical versus surgical. Are there changes happening right now? Like, Are we always repairing the rotator cuff, for example? I know that there's been some talk about maybe we shouldn't repair right away if the pitcher is actively throwing, um, depending on symptoms. Can you talk a little bit about that? On rotator cuff repairs? Or any anything that we used to jump right in and repair right away, and maybe now we're waiting, or maybe yeah. now people are saying we're waiting, and you say we shouldn't. Um, so with rotator cuff repairs, there's kind of two schools of thought. So it's interesting you bring that up. For and this this kind of excludes our young athletes. Okay, a, a young athlete with an acute large rotator cuff tear, they should they should go for surgical consult. Um, with rotator cuff tears, though, we, we have kind of a more chronic picture. And, you know, in our older throwers, we can certainly have this. Um, and then uh, and I, I see it even late 20s, early 30s kind of range. Um, and then we can certainly have acute and acute on chronic. So some people will say, well, the rotator cuff tear just occurred or it's small right now. It's an easier operation. It's a quicker recovery. And so let's go in and do it. Other, the other kind of line of thought is we can rest them, see if we can get them pain-free. We don't know how quickly it's going to progress. It will probably eventually progress someday, but we don't know how quickly. And if we can get them through the rest of their career pain-free, and they're not, it's not their performance isn't being affected, and that's a decent way to go. So you'll have different people with, with different views, and it's really on a case-by-case basis. And I, and I have this conversation with my patients. Um, the elbow um, for kind of your your like uh, valgus extension overload and kind of those um, kind of chronic. Due to due to the chronic laxity, those sort of issues, it's kind of the same thing. You know, some some players will want to go in and, and try and you know get it repaired and, and get it fixed and, and all that immediately. And some players, you know, who maybe at the end of their um, <clears throat> kind of towards the end of their career, say, you know, hey, let's re- I only wanted to finish this season and, and let's just rest it for a couple months and see if I can make it through and and then I'm done and they might be able to save a surgery. So um, it's really a case by case basis. There's not a, a perfect straightforward answer for that. 
Uh, can you talk about the biggest barriers that we're seeing to recovery? I know it's going to be different with our younger athletes versus our older athletes, um, but I know you mentioned take some time off, you know, four to six weeks off. I feel like that's usually a pretty big barrier. People don't want to do that. Like, What are you seeing that's really stopping the recovery process? <laughs> a lot of it is, is compliance with the treatment, so getting them into the clubhouse, getting getting the players to do their stretches, um, you know, day after day and that sort of thing. And especially it's usually pretty good initially, and then once they're not having pain, and that, that tends to happen pretty quickly because we stop them from throwing, and that's what was causing the pain. So you know, a few days, a couple weeks into it, they're not having pain anymore. It's hard to get people to continue with their therapy whenever they're not hurting. So, um, so, that, so compliance with the treatment is, is probably the biggest, uh, the biggest roadblock that we have. So do you have any suggestions for the athletic trainers? How do we keep them coming in? How do we keep them compliant? <laughs> uh, stay on top of them mostly <laughs> so you know check with them uh you know the the, the, the players tend, they, they know what they should be doing I think they just need to be reminded every now and then I had a athlete with a torn ACL and he wasn't cleared but he thought it would be a good idea to go pitch on the mound you know just to his brothers kind of thing ends up at, he tore it he like retore it so he had to have a second surgery on the same knee and he's still not even completely like following instructions, compliant, doing all the rehab. I'm like, you already know if you would follow instructions, it would be better. You already had to have a second surgery. You already missed a whole nother year. Yeah, the compliance is a huge yeah, issue. It can be tough sometimes. Yeah, what about with prevention? Um, do you find that compliance is an issue with that as well? If someone comes in and you're like, hey, let's try this first. Are you seeing issues with that? Yes, definitely. Uh, you know, and one of the big things I, I've looked for in a lot of my athletes is that internal rotation deficit, like we discussed. And um, and you know, I ask them, and their baseball players are pretty honest, though. So they, they'll tell me, they'll tell me, no, I haven't, been, you know, I haven't been doing my stretches. So I just remind them, and then you know, they'll probably do them for the next few days until I remind them again. And so I think just kind of trying to stay on top of them as far as that goes. Um, you know, they they don't want to be injured. It's just sometimes it's difficult to, you know, really. Um, it's, it's difficult to kind of always keep the, the harms in the back of your head whenever there's nothing, you know, nothing wrong as far as you're concerned. So we had a, a baseball player threw a curveball, felt a pop right on the medial elbow, a lot of pain. He's, he's going to have surgery, um, you know, over the summer. So at that point, what, what can I do to really, like, to help him? He's already it's torn UCL. That, you know, so what can I do to make sure with my assessment and then what can I do to help him um, in, I guess, you know, like with ACL, we do prehab. So what can I do to help prehab for that UCL? Yeah, for, for this, you want to put him in a, in a, a brace so he's not getting a lot of, uh, you know, valgus extension, just kind of daily activities and that sort of thing. Um, and you can go ahead and initially limit his motion in a, in a hinge brace from about 10 to 100 degrees. And then it's really, it's pretty much just kind of pain, you know, pain control and, and things like that until then. And obviously not letting him throw and, or do any other activity that, that could, you know, irritate it. We don't want it to go into surgery whenever it's, you know, really irritated and swollen and painful. Um, with his motion, once, as his pain improves, we can definitely start to increase it. We don't want a, a stiff joint by any means whenever we go in for surgery either. So a brace limiting the motion, so limiting the valgus stress, and then basically don't go through any of the motions that are causing pain. And so as the swelling decreases, we can continue to increase that range of motion as long as it's not adding the extra stress on where the UCL, where the damage is done. Exactly. Yeah. And the, okay. the, what's going to cause pain is going to be anything that puts a valgus stress on the elbow or, or, you know, so that's what we're trying to prevent.
And then as far as like lower body stuff, that's still good. You know, like what about running? Because if he's just doing any sort of running, he's moving his arms, maybe straightening them out. Thoughts there? It just depends on, on how acute the injury is. I mean, if, if running was causing him a lot of pain, and I would really just let, let it be kind of a symptomatic guide. If running was causing him a lot of pain, then, then I wouldn't. But, um, you know, if it's kind of an acute on chronic, things have settled down, then certainly I'd, I'd be okay with him to continue to exercise. Good. All right, anything else that you think that we need to know, we need to add, we didn't cover, you didn't cover about the thrower's elbow? Um, just kids are at more risk. Um, that's a really important time. That's also a time whenever you know parents and coaches tend to push because um, kids are there listening to you. So it's important to kind of be the advocate um, for them and, and really make sure we're following the rules and pitch counts and that sort of thing. Um, with kids, they have different anatomy. Their growth plates are the weak link, so that that joint in general is not quite as strong as adults. So, all right. So be especially cautious with the youth. All right. So Dr. Mandola, if somebody wants to get a hold of you, what's going to be the best way to do that? Uh, as far as uh, so somebody listening to the podcast, somebody listening to the podcast and wants to ask you kind of follow up questions in regards to the yeah, absolutely. You can call call my office. Um, and, uh, and they'll usually send me a message and, and I can get back to you okay. if possible. And then th- do you know that phone number? Yes. 281-725-5868. All right. So if you want to follow up with Dr. Mandola about any of this stuff, uh, you can give him a call there at his office and hopefully we'll have that there in the show notes. Again, it'll be sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash throwers elbow 2019. Dr. Harrison, best way to get hold of you. Um, you can follow me on Twitter. What is that? I think it's at... Uh, Lacey J. My name's spelled weird. L-A-Y-C-I and then the letter J. So you can find her at Lacey J. L-A-Y-C-I. Of course, I am Mr. Jeremy Jackson on most social media, so you can find me there with that as Mr. Jeremy Jackson. That's all one word. Um, again, Dr. Joseph Mandola, Thor's Elbow 2019. For Jeremy, Dr. Harrison, Dr. Mandola, that is a wrap.